All right, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 7 this morning. Ecclesiastes, it is right, uh, I guess it'd be close to the middle of your Bible, just after the book of Proverbs. If you find Psalms, then you got Proverbs after that, and then Ecclesiastes after that. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 7. And while you're turning there, I want to I want to just, uh, I put this in my notes up in a little text box up at the top right corner. I do this for myself from time to time, but I'm preaching a message here this morning that I just want you to know transparently what's on my heart before I preach this message to you. David said in Psalm 131 in verse number one, he said, Lord, my heart is not haughty nor mine eyelids lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. The message I'll be preaching here this morning, I'm just going to tell you right up front, by no means do I feel like I'm an expert in what I'm going to be saying here today. I believe that what I'll be saying to you is 100% absolute truth, but I want you to know in advance that I feel very limited and my ability to um, to preach this message, just because I'm not an expert. And I guess the reality of it is, is that in anything that comes to the truth of God's Word and the serious things in this life, I don't think that there's any preachers that would consider themselves an expert. But I'm a student, just like you are. And we've all been through many, many things, and what we're going through is very relevant to us. I know oftentimes parents, we, we listen to our children complain about their problems and we just kind of, we show compassion, but kind of we're inside, we're grinning a little bit. It's like, you don't even know what real problems are, but their problems are relevant to them. Just like as we get older, we have problems that older Christians think that our problems are not very big, but they sure are to us at the moment. And so what I say here today in all of the message, let me just preface it with as much humility and meekness as I know how, that I want to help you here today, but by no means do I feel like I'm an expert or a guru in what we'll be looking at here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7, would you stand with me for a moment as we read one verse, verse number 14. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider, God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. This is part two in our series of how to have joy, and today's message is entitled Joy and Adversity. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessings upon the message here today. Lord, our heart is burdened and heavy for this message because we know that many people are going through adversity today. And Lord, the only hope that we have in dealing with our adversity is not a bunch of worn-out cliches, but rather the truth of the Word of God. And Lord, I ask you by the help of the Holy Spirit that you'd help us here today to minister the truth of your Word. Lord, your Word is powerful Lord, the helper of the Holy Spirit, we sang about that comforter. Lord, without you, Lord, the message will be vain. And as Brother Ralph prayed and said earlier, if anyone here today is not saved, 
Lord, I pray that they'd get saved today. Lord, that something would be said that would point them toward Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would get glory and honor from everything that is said and done in this service and in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The text that we read today, as with most texts that we read in the book of Ecclesiastes, is a very interesting passage of Scripture. When I think about what Solomon said here in this verse number 14, he's talking about times of prosperity, he's talking about times of adversity. And folks, we all have adversity in our life. Probably many of you here today would say, yeah, preacher, I'm going through a time of adversity today. The Word of God gives us much, much on how we can have joy in the midst of adversity. And listen, I'm not talking about some pie-in-the-sky thing. I'm not talking about, you know, just uh, psyching yourself out. I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand and pretending like your adversity does not exist. I'm talking about dealing with adversity in a biblical way by the help of God, but also understanding that just because we believe and appropriate the Scripture, it doesn't mean that, poof, all of our trouble and adversity is going to go away. Feelings follow. And uh, even David, the, the father of Solomon, David was a man who experienced great highs and great lows, and yet we would be very judgmental and critical to say of David, the psalmist, that he was emotionally unstable. Listen, he was just being transparent And what he's writing, those Psalms, he was writing to the Lord and he's talking to the Lord and the, the Holy Spirit gives us recordings of many of those Psalms that David wrote and sang to the Lord so that we can get an insight into a king and a warrior, a soldier of the Lord, a shepherd, a great man, but yet he experienced great highs and great lows not only in his circumstances, but just in what was going on inside. Have you ever had a time in your life when circumstantially it just seemed like everything was fine and yet internally it's a time of oppression and depression and we're struggling with inner things even when outward things seem to be fine? And at the same token, we can, by the help of the Lord, we can have turmoil outwardly, circumstantially, and still find that peace and that calm. And yes, that joy that is offered to us in adversity by the help of the Lord, by the principles of His Word, and by the comforting effect of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at our text with me once again. It says, "...in the day of prosperity be joyful." Have you ever been blessed and not able to enjoy it for fear that you're going to just going to end up being disappointed? Uh, You know, most things in life we know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We know we live in a sin-cursed world. But let me just encourage all of us here this morning that if God blesses you, if something good happens... Don't don't hide from disappointment and not enjoy the prosperity. God says quite clearly, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Enjoy the blessings of God. Don't let the spirit of fear rob you 
of the joyfulness that God wants his children to experience. I've thought often, it's like, hey, this is just too good. I must be missing something. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting. Uh, sometimes we, we think if we start experiencing joyfulness in our prosperity that uh, we feel like we're a rat that's just getting ready to take the cheese, right? And then snap, right? The Word of God says don't do that. Don't do that. Enjoy the blessings of God. God is a blesser. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a rough world and life that we live in. But when God gives his blessings and his prosperity, be joyful. Notice it also says, but in the day of adversity, consider God also hath set the one over against the other. You know, a lot of times we would not be able to endure the adversity if we didn't learn how to enjoy the blessings. And at the same token, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the blessings if there wasn't a contrast that God gave us between the blessings and the adversity. Listen, I've had times when I was so joyful over just a little little thing, something that when I was young would have been no big deal. But you know, when you go through a trouble and a trial, listen, I was talking to someone years ago, and, 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 and they, had, they had great health problems, great pain and arthritis and just different things. And he'd say, hey, brother, did you have a good day? He said, yeah, I was able to stay in bed all night. I didn't have to get up and walk the floor. You know, and I'm thinking, that's a great day to you. It's, sometimes we go through adversity and prosperity, and that, and, and then I should say, is the only way that we can learn to enjoy those simple blessings of life. That's what the Word of God is saying. Consider, God also hath set the one over against the other. It's like David said in Psalm 30, verse number 5, he said, Weeping may endure for the night. Listen, being joyful in adversity does not mean we won't weep through the night. Or the other night. Or the other night. There may be multiple days of trial and adversity and our emotions may not actually, we may not feel joyful, but weeping may endure for the night, but praise the Lord, joy comes in the morning. You got to learn to hang in there. You got to learn to not lose faith in God. Sometimes circumstances will shake our faith and our confidence in the word of God. Hey, we've all been there. But we've got to learn to trust the Word of God. And then notice the last part of this verse. It says to the end that man should find nothing after him. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. A lot of commentators don't know what to do with that phrase. But the best way I know to describe it is to just tell you that, listen, God has intermingled good and evil in our lives according to laws His laws that we know nothing about. You know, I I wouldn't order my life the way that God has ordered it. I would not allow, if, if God says, hey, what's your choice, son? Would you like some prosperity today or would you like some adversity? <laughs> oh, let's see, Lord, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of tired of being happy here. You know, happiness is overrated. This joy stuff, it's just not what it's cracked up to be. How about a little adversity, Lord? We'd always pick prosperity. We would never pick adversity. 
But we all know that it's the adversity that really makes the changes in our life that are of any value. God has laws that we know nothing of. God has a perspective of our lives that we can't even imagine. Just like those of you who have children, you look at your children, yes, they're adorable, they're lovable, and yes, they're intelligent. They can communicate to you even when they're very little. Listen, I think that babies in the womb communicate to mama with foot language. They know, listen, we know how to communicate, but listen, parents look at our children and we think, oh, they're intelligent and sometimes they do good things and they figure it out on on their own, but we have a perspective that is so much higher than theirs. At the same token, I don't care if you have 98 years of perfect Christian experience Our Heavenly Father looks down upon us just like we do a little newborn baby and say, you know what, I have a perspective that is so much higher than yours. We have to learn how to trust and how that God works all of these trials and adversities in our life as well as as giving us prosperity. Why? So that we can learn to be wholly dependent Upon him, not just partially dependent upon him, but God wants us to wholly depend upon him. You know what religion, the, the, the tenet of all religions aside from salvation of the Bible, the tenet of all religions is simply this. It's like God's here to help us to be saved and, you know, we have to, we have to do our part. You know, he's just kind of our, our crutch. You know, people say, well, you know, the good Lord helps those that help themselves. There's a practical truth to that. I understand. But listen, that has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is utterly, totally, wholly dependent upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. He doesn't need our help. He just wants us to wholly trust in Him. We can't help save ourselves. He has to do all of the saving. You just have to believe and you just have to trust Him. And so our opening text here, a lot of good stuff there. But I have four points for you here this morning on having joy in adversity. Once again, I'm not the expert here. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But I hope that I can present some absolute truths from the Bible that will help you so that you can have some joy in your adversity. Number one, number one, be a victor, not a victim. Listen, I'm, I'm 56 years old, and I've seen a lot of changes in my life. You know, when I was young and in teenage years and below, not, I'm not belittling teenagers or anything, but let's face it, our perspective of life is very, very, it's just, we don't see life in the big picture. We see our life and as we grow up and we mature and we get married and we have children and we go through adversity, our view of this world just gets a lot bigger and a lot more complex. And, and, and I've never seen a time more so in my life than the last 10, 15 years 
where Satan somehow has instilled a mentality in our culture that everybody's a victim. Why do you think we have so much mental illness? Why do we have so much depression? Listen, I'm not saying that there aren't physiological reasons. Don't misunderstand me at all. I'm not a doctor. I don't know all of that stuff. But I am convinced as we compare this generation with all of the prosperity that we have today, and you compare it to some of your parents or grandparents, they grew up in the Depression era. And you know what? They had it rough. But many of them learned how to have joy in life and their adversity. Why? Because they didn't have a culture that instilled in them that you're a victim and God and everybody else owes you something. Be a victor, not a victim. First Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 12. You can look at the screen or you can turn in your Bible, whatever you're comfortable with. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12. You're going to see here just this first point, why I preface this with Psalm 131.1. Because sometimes I feel like I'm exercising myself in matters that are a little bit too high for me. When I think about how I deal with adversity, and I compare it to how Jesus dealt with adversity, (laughs) wow, do I feel like a wimp? Do I feel like a whiner? Do I feel like I'm weak? And yet the Scripture gives us this Very important truth how that we can be a victor, not a victim. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Man, I'm so guilty of that. Some trial comes my way, and I just think, this is strange. I didn't deserve this. How in the world do I go through this? Man, oh Lord, And I start sucking my thumb. I I tried to do right, Lord, and this is the result that I get. You know, I followed your word, and it didn't do me any good. Anybody been there? And sometimes we just think, oh, no, these are the things that happen to the losers out there. These are the people that don't make smart decisions like I do. And then we find out that, you know what? We're all losers, aren't we? (laughs) Don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked that, yes, the moment of adversity is going to come on you too. Tell you what, as I get older, as I get older, I find out how that all of those theories when I was in my 30s and in my 40s, and I had so many things figured out. And and if you didn't believe me, all you'd have to do is ask me, And I'd tell you just exactly what you ought to do and how you ought to handle your adversity. And then now I just think, you know, somebody says, Pastor, what should I do about this? I don't know. I'll pray for you. (laughs) That's not, I'm not trying to emanate false humility here. I'm just saying that's just the way it is. And yeah, if I have some answers from the scripture If I have something from experience, I'll try to help you. But I don't feel near as confident as I used to be. Why? Because I've learned that fiery trials are going to be part of the Christian life. You cannot do everything perfectly and still expect life to be perfect. 
Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. How about that? Christ's sufferings, our fiery trials, when we go through those, we can rejoice and be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You know, verse 14 really talks about modern Christianity today. Have you noticed that because of what's happened in Christianity in the last, let's say, 80 years or so, You know, there was a time, especially you go back to the time of the apostles and the time of the early church, do you know that it meant something to be a Christian? It meant you were probably going to suffer and be persecuted. It meant that if you stood up and said, I'm a Christian, Jesus of Nazareth is my Savior, it it might mean that you get thrown in jail. It might mean that you lose your job. It might mean that you get stoned like the Apostle Stephen did with rocks until he died. It may mean that you're going to suffer. Who suffers as a Christian in America in 2022? No, most of the people that are Christians, listen, if you're a really good Christian or if you're a good preacher, I mean, if you have just the right voice and let's say that you you have the right appearance and maybe you can write books, You know what? You become a celebrity. Can you imagine what the Christians for the first, let's say, 1800 years of Christianity, if they looked at the popular preachers of today and saw that, wow, they're like celebrities, they would be going, they would be thinking that that's the strange thing, not the fiery trials. Who suffers in America in 2022 for being a Christian? I don't know. I don't want it to happen to you. I don't want to suffer. I'd like to be able to go and hand out a track and not worry about getting thrown in jail. I'd like to worry about putting a track on somebody's door and not worry about some pagan opening the door and sticking a double-barrel shotgun in my nose and saying, get off of my porch. Don't you think that there are places and times where those are very realistic expectations? So what do we do? We, we allow ourselves to become victims when really the truth of the matter is we've got it made in today. And the devil wants to defeat us into thinking that we've got it so bad when if we compared ourselves to Almost every generation of Christian that's lived since the time of Christ, they would say, wow, you got it made. You guys can go put tracks on doors. You can tell people you're a Christian. You can go to church. I mean, we've got a parking lot full. Anybody can drive by and see this parking lot is full. They could take down your your, your license plates and find out you went and gathered and worshipped in the name of Jesus. None of you were worried about that when you pulled onto this parking lot today. 
but many have in the past. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip, folks. I'm just trying to take and give us an honest perspective that, listen, times are tough, but we still, we don't have to be a victim. We can indeed be a victor. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. One of the best things to consider when you're going through adversity is simply this. Did Jesus go through anything similar? An injustice? Somebody doesn't like you? Somebody rejected you? Something happened to you? I mean, you you did something good for somebody and they didn't return the favor? Hey, is, are any of these things that you feel like that maybe Jesus can relate to what you go through? I think that pretty much every adversity that we go through, if we'd really step back and think, did Jesus go through something similar? He did. He absolutely did. Don't be a victor. Or excuse me, don't be a victim. Be a victor. Number two. Number two, stop worrying about what everyone thinks of you. Boy, you talk about a joy robber right there. That'll rob you of your joy if you start worrying. You start playing that game, that people trap, if you will. You start worrying about what everybody thinks of you. You're going to be, your, your, your emotions and your joy is going to be in a tailspin. You're going to be up and you're going to be down and you're just going to, you're going to be walking around thinking, what are, what are they thinking about me? In Acts 13, verse number 51, it says, But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They had just been driven out of the city. I mean, the elder, the leaders of the city, the Jews stirred them up and said, Look, these men are evil. These are horrible people. Get them out of the city. And they literally got cast out. And instead of feeling like a victim and thinking that, you know what, they don't like me. What did we do to them? We were nothing but kind and nice. We paid our bills. We do, did everything that we could. And they kicked us out. You know what the disciples did? They shook the dust off of their feet. You know, when somebody treats you ill or doesn't like you, and instead of worrying about what they think of you, shake the dust off your feet. Don't let that dust cause you to lose your joy. Shake the dust off. Stop worrying about what they think and let the Lord give you some joy. Now, I'm not talking about this prideful, good old boy mentality where people say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about this attitude where people say, well, that's just the way I am. They can like me or lump me. That's not what we're saying here today. That's not what the Lord's saying. The issue is not what do people think of us, but the issue is why do they think what they think of us? Is it because I'm a Christian? Is it because I'm doing right? Or is it because I'm being a jerk and being hateful? You know, that's what a lot of those people say. They just, you know, treat anybody any old way they want. And it's just like, well, I don't care what people think of me. That ain't Christian. That's prideful. That's arrogant. 
That's selfish. That's reacting to something inside trying to put up this wall that's fake, pretending like we're strong. And the reason that we're having to put up that wall is because really inside we are weak. The prideful man worries constantly about how he looks. But the Christian only worries about how he behaves. It's the difference between our reputation and our testimony. Listen, I don't ever want to have a bad reputation and neither do you. But let's face it, we cannot control our reputation, but we can control our testimony. Listen, I can't make men trust me, but I can be trustworthy I can live a life that even if people reject me, even if people slander me, that maybe, just maybe in time, nobody will believe them. People will say, uh, you know what, I heard that about brother so-and-so, I heard that about sister so-and-so, you know, I believed it at the time, but you know what, I don't believe that. We ought to have the character and the Christianity to where we're not worried about how we look. We're worried about how we behave. Are we living a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ? Are we walking according to the Word of God? If that's the case, you're going to have times where you're going to have to shake the dust off of your feet. Otherwise, it will rob every ounce of joy that you have. And God wants us to rejoice and have joy in those times of prosperity. It's not about the results. It's not about how, you know, the glory that we can have. Listen, mankind is hopelessly seeking glory and acceptance. It's part of the human nature. Adam was a monarch that God created and he put him as ruler over the whole world. And then he fell from it. There's something inside of us that seeks glory and all that we go through. Listen, teenagers wanting to be accepted and wanting to fit in. I'm not saying that that's altogether wrong, but it's a human, it's part of the human nature that we want, we want some kind of little glory here and there. The way we should be living is, Lord, I want to be glorified when I stand before you. I would rather be reproached here in this life and to be able to stand before the Lord and hear those precious words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are you seeking that joy that comes from God and God alone? We don't have to reject others before they reject us. We can be accepting and we can be loving and we can be joyful even when men reject us, as long as we have our eyes on God. The the Lord said, I mean, what more could he do for us than what he did on Calvary's cross? Is there any greater love than that? If you don't feel loved here today, you ought to, because Jesus loves you. We can rejoice in that. It may not be some magical incantation that, poof, just makes all of the feelings of trouble go away, but You know what? If you will focus on those things, the joy in God's acceptance will eventually start overriding the trouble and the turmoil that we're experiencing from man's rejection. Stop worrying about what everyone thinks of you. Number three, 
And this is certainly connected to number two, and that is this, fall out of love with yourself. You know, I don't, I don't like the phrase of people falling in love. I, I don't like, I don't believe that the Bible teaches at all that love is an accident. I don't believe at all that love is something that overpowers and we cannot control it. The Bible teaches that love comes from the heart and the Bible teaches we're supposed to keep our heart with all diligence. We have choices in what we love and who we love. God commands us to love Him with all of our heart. It's not just something that just overpowers you and overwhelms you. You have to choose what and who you love. And when you start acting out that love, then the feelings of love will follow. Well, I just don't love my husband anymore. Well, then stop it. Stop not loving him. Well, I just don't love my wife anymore. Well, stop it. God says to do it. It's an action. It's a commitment. It's a decision. It's not something that Hollywood teaches that you just can't help it. That is not true. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan has injected into this culture. And because of it, we have broken homes and devastation among children that has swept this entire nation. And it all stems to a Hollywood view of love instead of a Bible view of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you think that God looked down on sinful humanity and just said, oh, they're so lovable. They're so wonderful. I just can't wait to go down and be among them. No! God looks down on humanity, and just like He said in Genesis 6, He looked down and He saw that the thoughts and imaginations of their heart was only evil from their youth. You know what? It's the same. It's the same humanity today. The only reason that God hasn't destroyed us like He did in Genesis 6 is because He made a promise that He wouldn't. I saw a rainbow just a few days ago, big rainbow in the sky, and all of the colors were so vivid. And I just thought, wow, that's the token of God's commitment. And it just disgusts me what they've done with that symbol in today's culture. Just you talk about Satan taking the wickedness of man's imaginations and trying to use it to rub God's promises back in his face. Let me tell you something. That is a wonderful token, and it's a token that God looks down upon us in his mercy, that he's not going to destroy us even though we deserve it. Listen. We've got to fall out of love with ourselves. We've got to start making a decision. Look at Acts 20 and verse number 22. Paul said, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Paul was going into almost a death wish here. He said, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul, God had already told Paul that you're going to suffer great things for my name's sake. You know what most of us would do if God said, hey, I want to use you. I want to, I want, I want your life to count for me. 
And then God would say, but you're going to have to suffer. Who would be signing up for that? I'll tell you who would be signing up for it. People like Paul, who recognized that he was a great sinner, the chief of sinners and on his way to hell, and that Jesus still loved him and saved him in his mercy and his grace. That's the only way that we can have that kind of character and unselfishness is to start recognizing who we are and what God has done for us in spite of it. And then and only then can we say like the Apostle Paul, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. There it is, folks. Joy and adversity and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, this is high stuff here, I admit. I'm not standing here saying, I got this all mastered here. I don't. But I know it to be true. And in my moment of adversity, I hope by the grace of God that I can exercise these principles and be able to have that joy in adversity. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 8, he said, We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. How did they get through it? How did they get through being despaired of even life? Verse number 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. God hadn't sentenced them to death. Paul said we had it in ourselves. We made a decision that whether we live or whether we die, we're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we're still going to keep getting the gospel to a lost and dying world. Can you fall out of love with yourself and can you stop loving your life so much? Pretty high stuff. You're not going to do it on your own willpower, but by the grace of God, we can all have that kind of a Christian life. And then my last point, number four, is understand that your problems are good for you. You know, I was talking about earlier not being a victim. Uh, this is where, when I think of this point right here, I think of, I think of my mom. My mom was affectionately called Graham. You know, all of my, my, my nieces and nephews, they all called her Graham. And even in the church in Idaho, she was just known as Graham. She was like a, just a grandmother to so many people. And I've told you about my mom before. She was definitely a no-nonsense lady. I mean, she wasn't one that you were going to manipulate. You weren't going to get, you weren't going to get no pity party from her. I mean, if, 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 if any time me or my sister started whining to her, or my nieces and nephews started whining about something, Graham would say, it's good for you. And we would joke with our kids, you know, something bad happened, it's good for you. <laughs> you know, of course, we added that. Graham, mom didn't say it that way, but we kind of embellished it. It's good for you. <laughs> Probably that's the way we, it made us feel sometimes. But you know what? I, I think about that. My mother, she knew problems. I know a little bit about what she shared about her childhood and how she was treated and her parents and all of her 
upbringing and growing up. And you know, she knew what real problems were, not like us today. And she knew how to be a victor, not a victim. She knew how to understand that her problems were good for her. And she was trying to instill that in us kids that, listen, it's good for you. It'll help you. You don't have to whine about it. It's the best thing that could happen to you. James chapter number 1 and verse number 2. My brethren, watch this. Count it all joy. What's a counting? That's a reckoning. That's doing some counting instead of feeling like it's all joy. The Word of God says, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's a reckoning, not a feeling. Patience. (laughs) I know patience, tribulation worketh patience. I know that. I know that asking the Lord for patience is kind of like, dear Lord, please give me patience. And then, you know, we're ducking. I know that. That's human nature. But patience is emotional stability. Patience isn't passive, it's active. It's having emotional stability. Listen, no one can completely control their emotions. No one can. The issue is the control that you allow your emotions to have over your words and actions. This, please get this. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if this is the most important part of the message, but this is a really important one. This is where knowing the Bible for yourself is so essential. Your feelings will frequently contradict Bible principles. When we choose to follow feelings... Guess what? We're vulnerable in many, many ways. I, listen, I, feelings are good. I'm not, I'm not anti-feelings. But I'm saying when our feelings contradict the Scripture and we go by feelings instead of Scripture, we are in Satan's territory right there. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That's not saying that God wants us to follow stoicism. You know what stoic people are. They're people that just shut off emotions and just block it all out and they're just like a lump of gray clay. You know? Are you happy today? Yeah. Are you sad today? Yeah. The Lord's not saying be, be, to be stoic. That's a false philosophy. But what he is saying is that we need to have principled living and not let our emotions drag us around. I, I, I mean, I loved when laser pointers came out. You talk about more fun than a piece of yarn with a cat. Yarn was fun, but laser pointers, oh my goodness, you can have cats. Sorry, cat lovers. You can make cats do flip-flops. I mean, they'll climb the wall and do a backflip with a laser pointer. But when we follow our feelings instead of the Bible, Satan's just got that laser pointer. And he's just, I mean, he's just playing with us. So understand that your problems are good for you. Count it all joy 
make sure that we are we have the patience and the emotional stability to let the scripture and the principles of the bible determine our thoughts our words and our actions and i conclude joy in adversity requires the grace of god I've tried to teach you some Bible principles here today. I've tried to give you what I can from my personal experience, my personal observation of others. But I promise you, none of us can take the message here today and actually incorporate it in life without the grace of God. Second Corinthians 8, verse number 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. That means, means we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Boy, that's the grace of God right there. I've never seen it. They are poor, and yet they're still giving. They have great trial of affliction, but they still have an abundance of joy. I can't muster that up, and neither can you but the grace of God can do that. We can have joy in the face of adversity if we have the grace of God. So how do we get the grace of God? You know, we can sing about amazing grace, but you can sing amazing grace all day long and it's not going to muster up God's grace in your trial and in your adversity. But I tell you what we can do. James chapter 4 and verse number 6 gives us a Bible principle But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know, when I'm, when I'm saying, God help me, I need your grace, and I need your strength, and it seems like it just doesn't come, it doesn't happen, it's just like, where is, where did the grace of God go? That's when I have to take a look in the mirror and say, Lord, I think I've let some pride into my life because it sure seems like you're resisting me. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's when we just need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift us up. I don't know how many of you have ever been seasick. I got seasick when I was about, I don't know, eight or nine years old. The Pacific Ocean, I know that the Atlantic Ocean over here has some pretty rough waters, but the, the northern Pacific, it's like it's always rough. And we're talking about, I mean, just the normal good days are like some of the bad days in the Gulf, literally. And I mean, I'm out there and we're fishing for, we're deep sea fishing for big lingcod and some of those northern Pacific red snapper, I mean, they're just, they're huge. And we're deep sea fishing and I'm catching all kinds of fish, and I love to fish. I always have. And I'm catch, I'm pulling up these big fish, and I'm so happy, and then I got seasick. <laughs> that was my first seasickness. And if you've ever been seasick, I mean, <laughs> at first you're praying. It's like, oh, Lord, I'm going to die. And then pretty soon it's like, oh, Lord, I'm not going to die. <laughs> it's, like, it's just horrible. It reminds me, I'm trying to finish up here. When Lynn and I went, we went to our honeymoon in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we spent 
three or four, four or five days there. I don't even remember. And then we flew to Idaho to visit my family, and they were going to have a big reception for us. And so Lynn had never flown before. And so we, we leave the, the condominium there in Gatlinburg, and we're getting ready to drive to Knoxville and catch a plane. And she, she'd never flown before. She, she's like, we're not going to ruin our honeymoon here. And so she made us both take Dramamine so that we didn't get sick. <laughs> And so I'm like, I'd flown before, and I'm like, I don't, okay, honey. I mean, you're, we're newly wed, so I'm just going along with whatever. So we take this Dramamine, and we're driving from Gatlinburg to Knoxville. We stop at Wendy's to get something to eat. We come out in the parking lot, and we both fall asleep. <laughs> and so we wake up. It's like, oh no, we're gonna be late and miss our plane. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I've never gotten sick from flying. Uh, what did that have to do with the sermon? I don't know, but <laughs> seasickness. That's right, seasickness. There's one thing when when you're seasick that they say that you can do that'll help, and that's this: look to the horizon. Look to the horizon. You know, if you're just looking at the waves and the troubles and all of your turmoil in your life, if you're just looking at the adversity, you're never going to have joy. But if you look to the horizon, you'll see that there's something that will help you keep your equilibrium. There's something that's solid. There's something that's unmovable. And you know what's in the horizon. I hope you know it's Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, forever. The one that said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Listen, if you, no one's going to live the perfect life without adversity. But even if you did, you know what? There's still, life's, life's going to end. We're all going to die. And that's what we need to prepare for. Whatever we go through here in this life, it's just going to seem like a bad dream when we stand before Jesus Christ. Let's have some joy in adversity, knowing that there's something good on the horizon. Even if God doesn't fix all of your adversity, if he doesn't make it all go away, and we, we know the cliches, you know, it's like, this too shall pass. You know, you know that's not in the Bible. That might shock some of you. This too shall pass. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. Once again, cliches will only get you so far. But the Bible principle and the Bible truth, if we'll look to the horizon that there's a better day coming, we're just pilgrims passing through here, folks. This is not ever going to be a utopia. We're passing through. We're seeking a country. And in that country, in heaven, that's going to be a place of unmixed joy. It's not going to be joy and adversity. It's going to be nothing but joy. So let's just look at our troubles and our trials. We might as well just endure them and enjoy them because there is for us, if you're saved, there's a better day coming.